Hey traders, it's Nicholas here and welcome to another episode of the Duomo Trading Podcast. I hope you've been well. It's been a while since we last spoke and I know I pretty much say that in every episode. I say, oh, we've not had any episodes for a while, but you know what? It's just like that first rule that I say for any trader that you need to nail you need to get consistent. And I think it's never too late to become consistent in something. And for us here, it's about getting consistent with this podcast. So who knows, maybe this is the start of a very consistent upward trajectory in getting out more episodes and this podcast really catching on. But in any case, even if this is the last episode you ever hear, at least it's going to be a good one because we have a great topic for today. This is a topic that is extremely important for trading, but it's also important for other things as well. It's important for investing, for business, entrepreneurship. It's basically important for anything in life. So let's get straight into it. You know, one of the most common questions or the most common questions, I should say plural, are sensed around like, what sort of return should you expect? What sort of return should I aim for? I'm doing this. I want this much return. I want this many pips this week. And people ask me my opinion about it. They say things like, is it is a 5% return a good target for me to have this month? You know, if I've made 30 pips per day, is that good? If I aim for at least 60, tra- uh, 60 pips profit for each of my trades, is that a good target? Is that a good filter to have for each trade? And I always say, that's not the right approach to take because you're focusing on factors that include things that you can't control as well as things that you can control. Instead, when we're talking about targets, when we're talking about improving things in trading, we should always be focusing on the things that we can control. So I want you to think about it this way. Imagine you've got two categories of everything in trading. You've got things that you can't control and you've got things that you can control. Now we can translate those two terms, the not control, the to control, whatever way you want to put it. That was such a bad way of wording that. You can rename these two headings for these two groups to luck and skill. The things that you can't control are the elements of luck and the things that you can control are the elements of skill. Now, of course, on the luck side, you can have bad luck and good luck, just like on the skill side, you can be bad at a skill or good at a skill. Now, this has been something that's been talked about a lot. So it's not the first time you've probably heard of it. It was talked about in the book, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Um, it was talked about in The Success Equation by Michael Mobusan. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. My French pronunciation is terrible or terrible, we could say. And it was also talked about in a book, I'm told, by Maria Konnikova, but I haven't read that book yet. Now, I'm not going to rehash what they've said. I'm going to give you my view and relate it to trading. But basically, in trading, there are elements that we can control, and these are the things that are our skills, and there are things that we can't control, and these are the things that are luck. And in any situation, you could be the most skillful trader in the world. You could really refine your craft, and there's still going to be that small element of luck. Or maybe it's still a large element of luck. But there are things that you can do to reduce the element of luck. And there are some parts of trading where the luck will never ever go. So if you imagine that you've got like a scale. And on one end of of the scale is skill. And on the other end of the scale is luck. And think about when you first start trading. You've got no skill because you haven't developed yet. So when you open trades in the market. It's practically like flipping a coin. Anything can happen. So you can think of the scale being completely at the end of luck rather than skill, okay? Then as you start to learn things, that moves slightly. It starts moving more towards the skill. So instead of it being fully luck, now you've got smaller elements of skill. 
So what our aim is, is to constantly, first of all, be trying to move that scale so that it's more towards skill than luck, and at the same time, be focusing on the things that could improve that skill category and that would fall into that skill category, right? We don't want to be relying on or focusing on the things that fall into the luck category. That's not a good way to approach it. So I've broken this down into four categories. There are three categories that relate to the skill and then the fourth category is luck itself. So we have the first category is skills. The second category is awareness. The third category is judgment. And then the fourth category is luck. Now, I like to relate this to things that is easy for everyone to understand and to relate to. So if we think about, for example, with basketball, okay, let me talk you through what I think the situation is with basketball, and then we can relate it back to trading after that. So with basketball, when you first start learning to play and you say, let's, let's say you take a shot, how much of that shot is going to be skill and how much of it is going to be luck? If you, you know, you get a swish, it goes straight through. How much of that was to do with luck and how much of it was to do with skill? Well, of course, you have the motor skill of being able to throw a ball, but you've got no basketball technique. So it's probably a lot of it down to luck at that point. But as you start improving, when you start working on free throws, for example, then at, at what point does it become that it's less about luck and more about skill? Well, you'll have plenty of NBA players, for example, who can nail almost every single free throw in training. All the time they can nail the free throw, one after another. So you'd say it's mostly, uh, mostly skill at that point, right? So they can work on this thing that's a skill. Now let's think about the jump shot. So in practice, when someone's unguarded, then can they work on their jump shot until the majority of the shots will go in? Of course they can. So the jump shot can be skill. There is, of course, still an element of luck to it. You might have it bounce funny on the rim and not go in or, you know, other factors may play a part. But ultimately, it's mainly a skill. Now, what happens if you include another player into the mix? Okay, so you've got someone guarding you. Now, is it just about skill or is there also an element of luck? So you can tell what you're going to do. You can control your actions, but you can't control your actions of your opponent. What if they jump just that little bit earlier than you and therefore are higher than you so they can slap away the ball when you're taking your shot? What if they completely anticipate what you're doing, they don't buy your head fake and they get the ball? Okay, there's an element of luck there because you can't control what your opponent's going to do. Now, as you get better, you might get better awareness of what's going on. So you might be able to decide what the best time is to shoot or what the worst time is to shoot based on the current movements of your opponent. So that goes beyond just the skill of taking the shot. Now there's some awareness of the situation, right? Now think about this. Let's say that you get the ball and it's not the right time to take a shot because your, your opponent is moving on you quickly. You know that they'll probably get to the shot if you take it right now. So instead you pass the ball to your teammate. And let's say the first time you pass the ball, it's too soft and the opponent still gets it. So the second time you, you pass the ball to them, this time you pass it harder because you don't want it to be caught by your opponent. But this time it's too fast, too hard that your teammate can't catch the ball. So the next time you know, okay, I'm not going to pass it as soft as that because my opponent's going to get it, but I'm not going to pass it that hard because my teammate won't get it. So instead I'm going to find like a, a midpoint there that's about right. And this happens over time and over time that you develop this feel for things and it's this sense of judgment of being able to pass the ball at the right pace for your opponent to get it but not for your, uh, sorry, for your teammates to get it but not your opponent. So all of this relates back to trading. 
So we've got the skills, we've got the awareness, we've got the judgment, and we've got the luck. Because the markets are this environment that we can't fully predict. There are characteristics about the market that we can predict, but there's a lot of unknown there. When we open a trade, it's a game of probabilities. Because we know that there's a certain percent chance that it's going to do what we expect, but there's also, therefore, a percent chance that it's not going to do what we expect. So there's a sense of luck there as well. But let's think about the skills that we have. So remember, we've got these four categories, skills, awareness, judgment, and luck. Now, with the skills, we've got things like, I don't know what method of trading you're using, but for example, with the Duomo method, we've got the tools that allow us to identify significant levels. Okay, those are skills. Now, when you first start trading, you're not going to have those skills. You're not going to know, you know, horizontal levels or uh, Fibonacci or anything like that that's going to help you to make predictions about what moves the market's going to make. You have none of that. So it's mainly luck that you're relying on. Then you start learning about them a bit more and the skill starts developing. But here's the thing. Let's take, for example, trend lines. Now, some of you, I mean, this is a podcast, so it would be great if I could show you, but I'm sure some of you have seen it anyway. I've shown it in videos or in webinars. We built this indicator. Back when we were building our automated system back in around 2013, we had to build these visual versions of the indicators that were within the system. One, so that we could test whether the tools were actually working properly. And two, so that we could compare visually what we were looking at in the market compared to what the system was picking up and seeing if it was finding things in the right way. Now, we, we built this tool for testing trend lines. And what it did is you could put in a number of bars into the indicator and and it will basically look at that many bars on the chart. So let's say you put in a thousand or no, let's say a hundred. Let's do less than that. So 100 bars, that's 100 candles on your chart. It will scan across those 100 candles and show you on the chart all the possible variations of trend lines that could have appeared within those 100 bars according to whatever criteria you put in. So you could be very restrictive with the criteria or very open. You could say it could be any two points or you could say, well, it's got to be two points confirmed with a third point only on candle bodies or you could say only on candle wicks and four points, whatever you choose. But what you'll always find is that depending on the restrictions you put on, you're either going to have dozens or thousands of variations of trend lines. So let me put it this way. Let's say you understand what a trend line is. You practice it for a weekend what are the chances that for each trading situation, you're picking out the right trend line? Out of those thousands of variations, you pick the one that allows you to make predictions in the market. Now, some of you will not believe in trend lines and you'll say, well, it's entirely luck, but I think differently based on the data that we collected. But what I can say is that if there are thousands of possibilities, maybe when you first learn about them, you can get it right once, maybe twice in a row, but the chance that you're going to get it right every single time is very slim. But what happens from that, you can start to learn the method, the technique, how you can confirm correctly that you have the right trend line rather than the wrong one. Just like with your basketball shot, you might start off where you've got, you know, a glorified version of a chest pass as your shot and you evolve into time uh, over time into having this more elegant, uh, like typical basketball technique, typical basketball shot technique where it looks elegant, it's smooth, it's not a jolted movement, it's got a nice follow through and everything. Okay, nice flick of your wrist at the end. And at that point, things become less about luck and more about skill. There's always that element of luck, but it's more about skill. So that's the same with our trading. 
There are certain skills that we can practice and improve on, which pushes it more to skill than luck, but where we're not relying on, okay, there's a 50-50 chance I've picked the right one in this situation. No, there are factors that we can focus on that help us to make sure we've got the right one in that situation. So that's that first point of skill, okay? Now for all of these points, I've got a way that you can improve in that area. So when it comes to skills, if we want to move it away from being luck and more towards skill, I know there's two uses of the word skill in a slightly different context there, but if we want to move it so that we're, away, we're not relying on luck as much, we need to go through deliberate practice. Now deliberate practice is not ordinary practice, not normal practice where you're just staring at the charts and trying things out. It's creating situations that make you think differently, that put you under pressure, that cause you to have to focus and work hard to develop the skill over and over again. Now, this is not the session for us to talk about deliberate practice, so I'll leave it there with that. But basically, those skills are the things that we can improve with deliberate practice. If you're a basketball player and you want to get better at your free throws, you could do what I did back when I was playing basketball. My shot was terrible, and my coach like, told me, right, stand right under the basket. Use just one arm, put the other arm behind your back, and you need to lift your arm and flick and get it in. When you get it in 10 times in a row, take one step back, do the same thing. 10 in a row, one step back, 10 in a row, one step back. And soon that was becoming much easier. Now what I'd done is improved the technique on my, my right arm. And then when I included my left arm into the mix, so I had two arms, suddenly it was so easy and I could shoot from anywhere. So that's like deliberate practice. It's breaking down a skill, practicing it properly to develop that part that you can control. But what about this next one, which is about awareness? So like what I said in basketball that, let's say that your opponent is coming towards you and you know you're not going to be able to get the shot off. How do you know, how can you pick up on that? Because when you're a brand new player, you try all kinds of things. You'll shoot when it's not the right time, get shots blocked all the time. You won't have that awareness of what's going on around you. You won't know the positioning of the, your teammates to pass to them. You won't know when it's best to dribble for a little bit before taking a jump shot. You don't know these things. Likewise, with trading, there are certain situations at play all the time, like certain dynamics in the market. And these different dynamics can make it more or less risky to trade. They can make it the right conditions for your trades or the wrong conditions for your trades. All kinds of variables at play constantly, okay? And the thing is, there are so many different variables and there's no set rule for how it all plays out that you can't really develop this through deliberate practice. You know, you can't have a deliberate practice session where you'll know whether to pass or shoot in like a high pressure game in basketball. You can practice that high pressure situation so that your decision making becomes clear. But the only way you start to learn about these things is through experience. Okay, so the second point of awareness, which is being aware of what's going on in the market, what sorts of factors are at play, what sort of variables are there, whether it feels like the right time or not, comes from experience. And you can't really be taught it that much. You can work on the skills, you can understand the concepts, you can understand like conceptually when it is the right situation or not, but there's a certain amount of experience you have to build up to be able to see it clearly in that moment, okay? So, so far we have number one is the skills. We improve the skills and therefore we reduce the amount of luck. And we do that by going through deliberate practice. The second is that we build up more awareness of the market and the dynamics at play and what we need to do to have the best success possible in that situation. And we build that up through experience. 
The third thing is about judgment. So remember with the basketball player, if they're passing to their teammates and the first time it's too soft and then it's too fast and hard and the, the third time it's a bit of a, like the midpoint and over time constantly they're getting more and more accurate with this, including like when they're taking shots, how hard to, to take the shot to make sure that it goes in and doesn't bank or doesn't go over the backboard completely. Like what is that, that sort of measure of pressure and, you know, effort? This is the same with our trading. You know, when we think about things like when we're opening a trade, how we judge a position size, for example. Should I be risking 1% in this sort of situation or 1.5? Or should it be 0.6? Should it be a probe trade? Should it be a small trade? What should it be? This is a judgment that you have to make, a judgment in a situation. Likewise, when we look at situations that, like a trading opportunity, it's only an opportunity if we have the right combination of risk, reward, and success rate or expected success rate, okay? You can't say that a trade is a good opportunity just on the reward on its own, the return, because you don't know about the risk and the potential success rate. You can't judge it based on just the risk and return because you need to know the success rate. So therefore, being able to estimate, estimate the success rate is a critical part of being able to tell if something is a trading opportunity or not. Now, this is something that can't really be taught. And it's not just going to come from experience either. It's going to come from improving your judgment of the situation. So every time that a basketball player passes and they learn from that pass, what they're doing is calibrating. They're calibrating how hard they need to pass the ball in different situations. If you can hear from my voice, I'm actually as if I'm doing a pass here. I'm getting really into it. <laughs> So it's the same with our trading. You're not going to improve it from experience because you need that constant feedback loop. So instead you need to go through something called calibration. Now we have a video on our YouTube channel which is about calibrating your trading. And it's one of those videos that hasn't got as many views as others because I think people watch it and think that sounds like a lot of work. I don't need that, I can just learn over time. But here's the thing, there are certain things about your trading that will not improve over time just by themselves. And you'll still be relying on luck too much without realizing it. So instead, if we're talking about position sizes, for example, well, you should be looking at the different setups that you have and understanding which of them are most dependable. And then at the end of a quarter, or at the end of like a half a year or a year, look at all of your trades, look at the position sizes you chose and put them in a table, ranked in order of the dependability of those setups and see if the position size is actually in the right order. For example, you might have a low dependability setup and a high dependability setup taken six months apart. And actually the lower dependability setup has a higher position size than the higher dependability setup. That means you're not well calibrated. So then you can put in work to recalibrate. Likewise, if you take all of your trades where you thought there was a 40% chance of succeeding with the trades, and actually as a whole, there are about 60% chance you know that you may be being a little bit negative and you can increase the estimated success rate when you're looking at those sorts of trades. So you can see if you're overestimating or underestimating with your success rates. So this is calibration because then what happens, okay, I'm underestimating. Then for the next half a year, I might be increasing what I expect the success rate to be on my trades. And then at the end of that year, I might be like, oh, I'm slightly overestimating now. So then you go slightly under and over time, you're going to get more accurate in your ability to judge situations. Now that's linked to something that Philip Tetlock talks about in a book called Super Forecasters. Really good book, it's about forecasting the future and um, how much certainty you apply to that. 
and you can calibrate that to improve it. They use something called the Breyer scale. I'm not gonna talk about it for now, but it's a good way to be able to calibrate. And so if you can do that, if you can work on your skills by doing deliberate practice, if you can work on your awareness by gaining experience, by actually doing, and you can work on your judgment by calibrating, you're going to tip that scale more away from the luck and more towards skill. But here's the thing, there's still that fourth category of luck. And no matter how much you improve the skill set you have, there's still going to be an element of luck. So there are certain, like luck can be in different categories. There are some parts of luck that are associated with the skills, where like in basketball, you take a random shot, when you don't know what you're doing, there's more luck. And over time, that luck is gone, and it's actually skill instead. So it's replaced. Or when we're talking about the awareness, okay, at the start, it's kind of potluck because you're not aware of the situation. As you become more aware of the situation, more of the luck is replaced by skill. When we look at calibration with the passing, at first, you don't really know how hard to pass the ball. But over time, that skill, that luck gets replaced by skill. But there are certain parts of luck that can't be replaced and it's always going to be there. Now, the thing is, when you have less skill, then that amount of luck that's always going to be there overshadows that amount of skill you have. So it seems like a huge amount of what you're doing is to do with the luck. As your skill improves, that amount of luck still stays the same. It's just that your amount of skill has increased. So I'm talking about things like in basketball, for example, I might have better awareness of the situation, but let's say that I go and do a crossover to get past an opponent. I don't know if they're going to buy the crossover and fall over, or if they're going to be able to guess what I'm doing, anticipate it and go in the same direction as me. That part is luck and that's never going to go because that's something I can't control. So in the markets, there are always things we can't control. We can't control when there's unscheduled news releases when some politician sneezes and the market takes it as a negative sign. Like, we can't tell when there's going to be a global pandemic. Okay, we can't tell. You can anticipate these things could happen and protect yourself and your system for these things, but you can't tell. You can't tell when there's going to be more opportunities one week or another. These things just happen. So when we're focusing on things like what sort of return we can make each month or each day, right, we can focus on the parts we can control, but there's an element that you can't control that's always going to dictate those percentages. So when we're setting targets, there's no point basing it on the return because luck plays a part in that. Instead, base it on the things you can control, base it on your risk management, base it on the way that you set yourself up for the day, the things that you control that push the skill part of your trading further and further, but not relying on anything that includes that section of luck because if you rely on that, you're going to be eternally disappointed, okay? And so it's the same with so many things in our trading. We have to accept that, that element of luck is there. And while it's there, that should, that should affect the way that we look at situations. It should affect the way that we look at our risk. It should affect the way that we look at a potential opportunity. It should affect the way that we look at our certainty. It should affect the sort of things we're practicing with our trading. And here's the thing with the skill side, is that it's not just about learning the tools, the things that we can focus on with deliberate practice. It's also about the other areas. If we can improve a skill in one area, if we can replace an element of luck with an element of skill in any area of our trading, even a 1% improvement over time is massive in terms of risk return, okay? So 
like I said, this applies to everything in life. It's not just trading. If you think about anything you're doing, there are very few things which are so fully on the side of skill that luck doesn't play much of a part. I think the example given in some books is like rowing, for example. If you're in a race in rowing, there isn't so much involved that's to do with the luck then. Um, whereas other things are a lot to do with luck, like the markets, because a, a lot of different things can happen at any point in time. So we have to embrace that. It doesn't matter how skillful we are, there's still always an element of luck and that should therefore dictate the sort of actions and the approach that we take in the markets and and sort of how how confident we get with ourselves. You know, a lot of traders go beyond just being confident and become arrogant. And what happens when you become arrogant is that the market's going to humble you. And as long as there's always that element of luck involved, then there's always that chance that you can get humbled. So you should never be taking risks that are too big. You should never leave all of your money in your trading account and trade it all on everything. But instead, play it smart. Realize that there's always this sliver of luck. Work to overshadow it. Work to replace it as much as you can. But remember, it's always there. All right, guys. So we're going to leave it there for now. I hope that we're going to have more of these podcast episodes. I do like them. It's just that there isn't much for an audience on these podcasts and people instead prefer the YouTube videos and stuff like that. So if you are a podcast listener and you prefer podcasts to everything else, let us know by leaving a review, leaving comments, letting other people know and letting us know. And that way we will keep doing these. And I'll try and find a slot every week, at least once a week to try and do them. But I need to know that we've got some of you out there that are listening regularly. So thank you for making it this far. If you've listened to the whole podcast, I hope you have a great week in the markets for your trading and take care. I will see you soon.